0: That's trinityschool.org, Trinity School of Natural Health. Transform your life, transform the world. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new?
2: well, it could be Tuesday, could be Wednesday, depends on when you're hearing my podcast or hearing my radio show and syndication. I'm here delivering information. I'm your host, Rashawn McDonald, and you're listening to Money Making Conversation. Each Money Making Conversation radio talk show or podcast is about entrepreneurship and entertainment. I provide the consumer and business owner access to celebrities, CEOs, entrepreneurs, and industry decision makers. My goal is to uh, share advice that I've uh, been given to me, advice that I've given to people over the years. A lot of people have big dreams. They don't have plans associated with those dreams. My show is to try to break that uh, down that wall to say you cannot achieve a dream, a dream, while achieving a plan, and a, and the plan has to be written. It cannot be hoped upon. It cannot be. It can be prayed upon, but a pray that prayer has to turn into work. A lot of people tend to put a lot of weight on that prayer. Uh, they say they jump out there, a uh, leap of faith. I've heard those statements before. Uh, Right place, right time, you know. It was my moment. Okay, w- where is it written down, though? You got to write that all down. You got to write all those moments down. <laughs> oh, guess what? It's not going to happen the way you want it to happen. Believe me, because of the fact that I've been in that chair where I've just been hoping, I, I call that the lotto experience. You just sit around and you just be hoping that it's going to happen. I'm playing the lotto. It's my time. It's my t- it's my journey. It's my moment. Guess what? There are no guarantees. My guests in turn deliver information about career planning, motivation, financial literacy, and how they lead a balanced life. My next guest ran is this young man. First of all, we're going to go back to the LA days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But then I was at uh, a very good friend of mine, uh, Holly Robinson Pete, and her husband. They do an uh, autism event, um, yeah, yeah. an event, a charity race in regards to her father. Uh, and I attended. Uh, finally, I finally showed up. I give money all the time. I finally showed mm-hmm. up. And uh, uh, Holly was uh, shocked that I showed up this year, actually when she hollered out my name during the event. And I said, yes, she was actually stunned that I was there. But we, when you go out in public, you tend to meet people you haven't seen in a long time and also realize the impact that you made in just basic conversation or just, I guess you could say, mentoring. And that's what I try to do when I meet individuals. My next guest is a celebrated celebrity master barber, award-winning actor, director, producer, and screenwriter. Please welcome to Money-Making Conversation, Lewis T. Powell.
1: Hey, hey, hey. How's everybody doing out there? My man, Rashawn. I first, I want to say, Rashawn, you know, thank you for all that you do. Uh, the philanthropy work, you know, you've really been a pillar in the community, man, just stepping out there with graciousness and abundance, man, and sharing that wealth with everybody, man. And that's just such a blessing to have people like you circumventing uh like I said, for the culture. And I want to say thank you. You've been a star supporter of the <laughs> Holly Robinson Pete Foundation, man. Uh, I've seen you give on numerous occasions, man, from your heart, and it's just a beautiful thing to see.
2: Well, you know, the thing about it is that um, there's no reason as to why I give. There's the, there's a, the, the fact that I, I have to give. And then um, uh, I've, I've lived, I realized that I affect so many different people. I've started foundations for other um, friends of mine and helped them to – push things in the right direction. One of my big things I'm doing right now is for HBCUs. You're a graduate of HBCU,
1: Howard University.
2: Howard University. Mm -hmm. Where I'm trying to become a media force along with Stephen A. Smith to bring brand awareness to... uh, It it really kind of annoys me, the uh, treatment of uh, HBCUs because it always feels like the the word struggle Mm -hmm. is tied to an HBCU school. It always looks like, you know, we asking for a financial handout from the government. And uh, and it, it tends to really muddy down the great institutions that HBCUs are. Let's Talk to us about that experience because I'm on a lot of the HBCU stations, mm-hmm. uh, Schools my Show, as well as Series X 141 and 142.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, to that point – it is. It it is. It's always like you said. It, people always try to associate struggle with HBCUs. Right. You look at institutions like Howard that's been over. I mean, been around for over a hundred years. Mm-hmm. And and as as well as other established Black uh, HBCUs that don't give it get as much credit. Right. You know. I mean struggling I mean when you look at some of the most prominent doctors and black lawyers and mm-hmm. accountants and mm-hmm. physicians my mother's a Howard graduate you know mm-hmm. she came out in 67 mm-hmm. and she's an accountant and mm-hmm. when I look at her alumni being you know she's a Delta Sigma Theta and mm-hmm. it's like I look at a lot of her little events that they have and it's mm-hmm. like all these professional uh, financially well off people that have actually been sowing back into their communities right. in mm-hmm. various different states all over the United States I mean excuse me all over the United States so mm-hmm. When you look at the struggle that people say that the HBCUs have, I think that that's just the media putting out some kind of right, propaganda, right. Mm-hmm. you know, in a way to kind of shine the light off mm-hmm. of excellence mm-hmm. that we've always been bringing.
2: Now, also, you you mentioned your your mom, yeah. your dad. Now you're a master barber, yeah, yeah. and your dad he's yeah. a barber, right? fifty fifty
1: let's, years. Let's yeah. talk
2: about that relationship. You know, he uh, kind of pushed you in that direction, yeah. or it was just a natural, uh, you know. See my father, I do what my father Yeah, do. yeah, yeah. It, it
1: was, it was, it was kind of like a natural progression, you know. In the Washington D.C. area, our barber shops have been around since 1965. Right, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I, have
2: a, I have a younger brother. My younger brother, he has like four bar, beauty and barber in the D.C. Maryland area. So. Then
1: I know our families probably know each other, so it's like because it, it's like we had one off uh, Upshire Street. Uh, Lamont Street and Georgia Avenue, mm-hmm. Kennedy Street and Twelfth mm-hmm. and Eighth Street Northeast. Mm-hmm. So it's like when I started off in barbering, my father actually brought us it, it's, it's about seventeen barbers in my family. Wow. Yeah, it's a it's a, it's a good it's it's stretched in far far and few between man. But I, I started off in the shop signing shoes and uh-huh. for nickels, dimes, and quarters, sweeping guys' backs off. Uh, you know, I was a little kid when a guy would jump off the chair and. <laughs> and if he didn't want to tip me, man, I'd sweep you all the way till you got out the door. I would embarrass you to pick, you know, to tip me, man. It was, it was cool. It was cool, but it was, it was a progression where you know I jumped off into that space. And by the time I was about thirteen, I, I remembered the first haircut I really kind of just gaffled, and was my cousin Glenn Johnson. Uh, my father came home, and he came out of the, uh, he came out of this little room in the basement, and uh-huh. looked at it, and he was like, "I didn't know you wanted to grab the tools yet." Mm-hmm. I see you need some work. <laughs> <laughs> hey, can't let the reputation get messed yeah, nah, nah, up. Yeah, no, exactly. Exactly.
2: Amateur night moments. Yeah, here. yeah. Well, you know, yeah. being you know, you talk about your dad. Yeah. That, being yeah. a barber. That, yeah. That's that's, yeah. that's 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 the core of being an yeah. entrepreneur. You Most know, definitely. he's taking the talent and said, "Look, as long as I got these scissors, I can make money somewhere." Yeah. Yeah. You know that that really. I, I remember when I uh, left IBM and I as a, pursued my career as a stand-up comic. Yeah. I always felt that. No matter what. Unlike an actor, yeah. I had to an actor has to wait on an opportunity. Yeah. As a stand up, yeah. long as I can tell jokes, yeah, I can get on stage and yeah. make me some money. Yeah. And it was it was really a, it really empowered me a lot in my career if I would say that I was an actor just waiting on the opportunity mm-hmm. versus, Hey, if you just let me on that stage. Yeah. Let yeah. me on that stage, give me fifteen yeah. minutes, you're gonna write me a check. Yeah, yeah. And, and yeah. so that that really uh that even though you into the entertainment because you have that skill set. Mm-hmm. Doesn't it give you a really, a uh, uh, an unbridled amount of, uh, of confidence that uh, most no matter definitely. what you can still exist?
1: Yeah. Cause that's one of the reasons why I created padlock, man, as long as on the entrepreneurial business side, right. It was one of those things where, you know, I've always worked as an independent, you know, when I worked in music, you know, I pushed the record, the billboard charts out of my living room, mm-hmm. you know, it was, it, uh, when I was at the space of when I, my barbering business, it mm-hmm. was like, you know, I, Cut numerous celebrities from 50 Cent to Outkast to Dwayne Wade, uh, Mm -hmm. and it was like one of those things. I built my business uh, accordingly, so each one of them worked together, unified. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When I looked at Padlock, man, it was it was just another Mm -hmm. etching Mm -hmm. that etching etching that space. You know, my first two films I sold independently, and I was like, you know what? Why can't I create a pilot? myself, mm-hmm. why can't I go out and take this pilot, chop it, and why can't I figure out the distribution and finance it myself also to take that to the next level, mm-hmm. which, in, which in return can incorporate me as an actor, as right. a director, right. and as a score, you know, right. f- for, for music. And then on top of that, it's like I want to be in the lane to c- try to create more opportunities not just for myself but people outside of me. And, it, and when you start creating that ecosystem as an entrepreneur, obviously you know that all of it pays dividends Absolutely. Man, backwards Absolutely. and forwards.
2: I, it really is amazing when you talk about, uh, you know, I always tell people, when I, and even in this conversation, Mr. Mm-hmm. Paul, when I'm talking to you, and it's, it's about uh, understanding your opportunities. Mm-hmm. Now, how does social media, how does brand marketing play a role and how do you get the word out? And also you can give out your handles. And that uh, yeah, I
1: mean. brand marketing plays a big part. I mean, you know, in this day and time we live in, technology flows, you know. I mean, back when I first started, it was like the barbershop was the information superhighway. But now we look at Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and, you know, and all these different avenues where we actually can share our gifts with the world. Mm-hmm. And I think it's one of those things, finding your audience, finding your niche, and then building upon that niche of the people that actually support you and starting the steamroll effect mm-hmm. to turn that over and over again to grow your audience more. Because I feel like sometimes what I look at a lot of times nowadays is people stretch themselves too thin instead of saying, you know what, if I can find a core of 1,000 people or 500 people, man, it'll support me, you know, 100%. Would I rather have 1,000 people to support me 100% or would I rather have 1,000 people only support me 10% or Uh 5,000 people only support me 1%? Uh You know, I'd rather find that niche audience, cater to them, keep building that steamroll effect to build my brand, build my business, and as I move along, I know one thing, relationships, network opens up wider. And then on top of that, like I said, people become more fans and you have more advocates, man, to create more substantial business.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, the thing about it is when you look at the business that you're in, yeah. you know, you know, you mentioned celebrity names that you, mm. does that help?
1: Most, you, yeah, most you know definitely. That,
2: because, you know, you, you're in an intimate relationship yeah. when you're cutting the hair yeah. and then you're also an actor, yeah. you're also a director, you're a producer. Yeah. How, does that, how does that, you know, how does that... Talk to us about that balance. Uh, yeah. The, you know what?
1: I that's one of the things I've always kind of prided myself in because I, I feel like like going back to the entrepreneur, every business that you <laughs> right. do, no matter what it is, is it's a reflection of you. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'll give you a prime example. I, I went up to Cut 50 one time for Bloomberg Business Week, right? Mm-hmm. And I walked in. I would always wear suits, mm-hmm. come in with a doctor briefcase that's true, with my that's tools true. in. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I walked in, I would get there about 30, 45 minutes earlier. A lot of times they thought I was 50s manager. Mm-hmm. They were like, oh, where does this go, Mr. Powell? I'm like, hey, look, I'm, I'm the barber. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, that reflection, when when I first started off in the barbering business, I would always PDF my my invoices mm-hmm. to all of the companies because I was like, you know what? If I ever get a chance to run across them again, they'll look and say, oh, well, this guy, he's a director, too. Oh, he's a, he's a writer and he's an actor. Mm-hmm. But I remember when he worked as a barber, ah, that guy was so professional. He, mm-hmm. he, he PDF'd his invoice. Mm-hmm. He was always on time. He was mm-hmm. intelligent. He was articulate. Yeah, mm-hmm. You know. Setting so, the stage. Setting the stage. Mm-hmm. So when I get ready to cross that threshold in the future on any other endeavor, endeavor in entertainment, especially mm-hmm. within the celebrity space, mm-hmm. it's. You know what? Let me hear what this guy has to say. Let me mm-hmm. take his call. Why? Mm-hmm. Because I set
2: the stage. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you know, as we wrap this interview up, um, yeah. you know, we all, you're not close to leaving this earth. We yeah. always have these journeys yeah. that we're trying to, uh, uh, the, 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 what's the future? What's the future, yeah. Mr. Powell? Man, the future. LT Powell.
1: Let me tell you, the future for me is you all are going to see a Dynamite limited series on HBO from Padlockman. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm building a production company, an ecosystem for distribution. Mm-hmm. We're going to create an ecosystem for, uh, to incubate talent from animators to uh, writers, directors, producers, all in-house. Uh, and on top of that, it's like I just want to build a blessing like my man Rashawn here and be able to give <laughs> back to the people, man, that deserve it, man. And just to be able to try to create a synergy, man, of goodness, man, and just share love, wealth, intelligence, and health.
2: Well, it was great seeing you again, live in studio. Man. So, notice you have a home now. Oh, you know, man. you got my contact information. Yes, sir. And so, uh, just keep us opposed, abreast of the steps. Yeah. Anything you're doing that's not related to the project. Yeah. You know, like, for instance, you might want to give us that cover of uh, Boss Man. So yeah, we can, yeah. Put it a post it on our social oh, media because it's part of your brand. Yeah, yeah. It's part of being recognized for your yeah. excellence. And yeah. again, thank you for coming on Money Making Conversation.
1: Oh man, thank you again, Rashawn. It was a pleasure being here. And everybody out there, you can catch me on my handles at Lewis T Powell. That's on Instagram, at Lewis T Powell
2: Twitter, and at Lewis T Powell on Facebook. I appreciate you. Appreciate you, teammates. We're coming right back with more Money Making Conversations. Hi, this is Roshan McDonald, the host of Money Making Conversations. You say to yourself, who calls Roshan show? Please welcome to Money Making Conversations, Lala Anthony. We met, you know, you used to always say, yes. Uh, can you give me, can, can we talk, can we talk? I, mean, I always talk to you about everything, everything.
3: <laughs> and looking at you and Steve Harvey, you know, that motivated me too, because I would see all the amazing things you guys were doing and not just being on the radio, I mm-hmm. felt like, at that time and even now, you mm-hmm. know, people want to put people in boxes.
2: Please welcome to Money Making Conversations, the incredible Nick Cannon. You're truly one of my mentors and one of the people that showed me that you can be multifaceted. You know for a fact now that you're about to capture an audience. It's going to have a spending power for at least another 20 years. To me, it's like my happiness
4: has been valuable. Money doesn't make you happy, but happy makes you money.
5: Money making conversations continues online at www.moneymakingconversations.com.
2: Hi, Rashawn McDonald, host of Money Making Conversations. Hi, again, this is Rashawn McDonald. Just giving my voice tone, getting it right because I got one of my favorite guests on the, on the show. It's about food. So everybody know I get a little extra excited when I talk to people about food. So I got to calm down. I got to calm down because... Each Money Making Conversation radio talk show or podcast is about entrepreneurship and entertainment. I provide the consumer and business owner access to celebrities, CEOs, entrepreneurs, and industry decision makers. They, in turn, my guests deliver information about career planning, motivation, financial literacy, and how they lead a balanced life. Their motivation, my guests have really been t- been tuning in to delivering these messages, this message on a regular basis. I'm really excited about my next guest. He's an owner. Executive chef, that means food, of several very popular restaurants. He was born and raised in St. Petersburg, Florida, and attended college at the University of Florida. That means he's a, he's a gator? That means he's a gator? Okay. All right. SEC? Okay, cool. After graduating with a dual degree in business administration and sports management, he decided to enroll in culinary school. Okay, now that's a, that's a switch now. Please welcome. He's here to tell his story and the, all the success he's had over the years since he's graduated with that culinary degree. Please welcome to Money Making Conversation, Eduardo Jordan. Thank
4: you for having me, my man. How are
2: you? Oh, pretty good. Yes, where where are you, where are you at right now? Where are you calling from right now? I'm I'm I'm, I'm in
4: Seattle, Washington. I'm home before I'm headed to work.
2: Seattle, yeah. Washington. Now I've been to Seattle a couple of times. I used to do stand up comedy. I went up there way back in the day. Did some jokes up there. I stopped in there when I was going to Vancouver for a cruise. Okay. So uh but I'm gonna tell you something. Let's let's talk a little bit about you before we get to this 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 <laughs> menu that, that that uh that really uh, and I'm already told, I'ma just tell you this, Eduardo. Um I'm I'm you're gonna see me before the year out, brother.
4: Heard that. You
2: gonna see There's me that. before the out. I'm, going to, I'm going to let everybody know you are gonna find out why. Why I'm gonna go up there with my wife. She's already she's already signed off. She's she's gonna be coming up there. With, so we got to get a day. Do you have a chef table at your restaurants?
4: And uh, we we will make a table for you. There Don't you worry go. about that. There you go.
2: Okay, cool. Let, let's talk about the beginning because I talked about uh, 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 we talked about the the degrees in the business administration and that still help that still helps you out now because you're. You're, you know your you're owner your entrepreneur so that degree in the business administration does help you out then you went into sports management. How did the whole culinary part of your life start to rise to the top?
4: Well you know i I honestly I started with food at the age of nine um, you know food has always been um, an intimate part of like uh, my experience growing up. Um, You know, when I was nine years old, my mom put me in the kitchen because she noticed that I had an interest for food because I was always asking my grandmother questions. Uh, My grandmother's a a Southerner. She's originally from Cairo, Georgia. And, um, you know, her specialty was cooking big old lavish meals for the family and friends to come over and hang out at her house, Mm -hmm. um, you know, for family reunions, after church, you Mm -hmm. know, all the holidays. Mm -hmm. Um, It was all about grandma. And so, you know, I took an interest into food then and there. And I guess that kind of, you know, played a role in my life later on when I was decided on the real direction that I wanted to go in on my true passion. Um, so it was all about, like, that that foundation with mom and grandmother of, like, hospitality and food. Uh, mom showing me around the kitchen. My mom giving me my first cookbook at probably, like, the age of 10 or 11. I don't remember the exact time period. Um, but, well, the but question, I, well, like, well,
2: the question that will pop out is that you said since 9, why didn't you immediately yeah. go into that direction? Why did you go to
4: Oh, man. Um, you know, it was it, it was kind of like, you know, the reality is, um, you know, my mom and my dad wanted me to go to college. I right. was the first person in my family to go to college. Right. And we're talking about extended family, too. Um, and so their mission was to make sure that I, you know, get an education, also get a degree that is going to send me in <laughs> the path that they thought and believed is going to be great for me, and you know, become a right. doctor, become a lawyer, become a sports agent, or something that dictated high paying, well established job with benefits, etc. So, um, their mission was just point me in the right direction, and cooking was definitely not the direction they assumed that I should be going in.
2: Because let's um, go be real you know, you got a lot of cooks <laughs> out there, but don't have a lot of chefs of color out there.
4: Color, exactly. And in and reality, is you know, um, culinary world is a very hard world. I mean, you're working, you know, 13, 14 hours a day, um, not getting paid the highest wages. And, um, you know, dollar for dollar, hour per hour, you're definitely working way more than most doctors and most lawyers for, you know, far less. So they saw, you know, me going to college as a as a better direction for me. And they definitely encouraged me, like, you know, follow my dreams and everything. Like, cook, enjoy it. Go right. go become a doctor, and then one day you can own your own restaurant while you're a doctor.
2: Right. Kind of thing. <laughs> okay, now, now now so we're we're in Florida, having a good time. That's big football mm-hmm. powerhouse, basketball oh, powerhouse. Yes, so you so you then the cooking really is what you want to do. You you've satisfied their expectation, their dreams. I always tell people, you can't repo a degree. So I love it. I All love right. the fact. My degree is in <laughs> mathematics. You can't they can't come in and go, you know something? That degree off the we're gonna take that degree off the wall, we're gonna do take it away from fact. No, you can't do that. Can't do it. Once that degree hits that wall and you say I'm out, we good. We good. Okay, yeah. I don't care, I don't care what that college loan is. We good. We good. <laughs> and so so the beauty of what you're at right now is that I I, I love this conversation because it talks about defining your path. It talks about right. understanding that I, I can I can accomplish many things, but all those the things that I really want to do. And so mm-hmm. cooking is what you really wanted to do. And so here's the thing that we want to talk about because climbing the ladder to be a chef, humbleness, Mm -hmm. low pay, long hours, again, humbleness, you know, sometimes you're being bullied because people have power over you and you have to be able to navigate that. And then you're a person of color. So there's a lot of questions. Then you stigmatize. There's a lot of
4: barriers. Yeah, you you stigmatize,
2: you know, especially if you want to go outside of what they think you can do. You know what I'm saying? So, so just talk about that journey a little bit, there, Eduardo. Yeah,
4: I mean, it was a, it was a, it was a hard, very strenuous, humbling journey. You mm-hmm. know, I, I ended up going to culinary school um, after graduating from the University of Florida, so I was a little bit older than most people in culinary school. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think I was like twenty-five years old, mm-hmm. um, so <laughs> I'm looking like an elder compared to the sixteen <laughs> and seventeen-year-olds. Um, but I was extremely focused, and and I realized, like in culinary school, that was a reality check. You know it was, we probably had 10% of people of color
6: there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
4: And out of of that 10%, probably 5% graduated. Right. Mm -hmm. Of that 5% that graduated, 2% ended up finding a decent job. Right. Mm -hmm. And out of that 2%, you got me, the 1% that is still remaining that I know of. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that was pretty much my, my journey and my path, because as I ended up going, you know, to get, you know, distinguished jobs at distinguished locations. I, I ended up becoming an intern or apprenticeship at the French Laundry in Napa Valley. You know, one of the most pre- prestigious restaurants in the in the in the world, right? I should say, but definitely in this country. Um, you know, that was that was that was the stepping stone to my career. But at that at that same time, I realized that you know I was two percent again of of that organization. You know, it wasn't many people of color there. Right. And as I progressed in my career, you know. I had to humble myself more because I was in the fine dining world. And as you move up in that ladder of cuisine, the style of cuisine, you know, the level of, of restaurant, you realize that that percentage trinkles down more and more with people of color, women, uh, minorities, et cetera. Um, And the reality check was that, you know, it was a, white chef's world for me Absolutely, I was running
2: them. and that's a, that's and so, an honest statement mm-hmm. to talk about you know not not because it, you know because of the fact that the reality is is though we don't know what goes on behind closed doors and that's correct walk, walk when you go you see you see food being brought out and then, being, then people complain and sometimes that's when a lot of for some reason chefs always come to my table you know I guess because I just yeah. love food they go how's, how's everything <laughs> going so you like is your meal good they go yeah it's fine it's fine and I will send food back now if I don't yeah. like it, I'll say, hey, dude, I'm sorry. This is not working for me today. Not working yeah, for me today. you're paying
6: for it. You Absolutely.
2: Should, you should give <laughs> Absolutely. Now, let's talk about, because I wanted to get that part of the story out, that part of the journey out, because I want to talk about the uniqueness of your success story, and it, mm-hmm. and it continues to grow. Explain to everybody okay. the James Beard Award.
4: Oh man! So you know, think about the Emmys and the Oscars, um, and the Jane Spirit is just as equal for the culinary world um, as those prestigious awards. Um, it's it the foundation was started, you know, to recognize the culinary arts world, chefs, restaurateurs, um, industry movers and shakers, um, by distinguishing them with once a year honoring the best of the best, and you know I'm. Can say I'm fairly blessed with the fact. Come on that now.
2: Come on now. Talk to us <laughs> now, Tell us what you got, man.
4: I set Fair you up, man. <laughs> with, two, with two distinguished awards in one year, which is unheard of, you know, for one for one minority to um achieve that award in one year, it's it's a feat on its own, but to to achieve two recognitions for best chef um Northwest and best new restaurant in the country Jane for um Um, June baby, it, you know, that, it was just mind blowing. It it was out of the universe. It was unheard of, you know, Mm -hmm. the first time that ever has happened. Right. You know, I have a lot of, I have a lot of firsts in my, in my, in my career and I, and I strive and pride myself Mm -hmm. on being first. I was the first black chef ever to grace the cover of Food and Wine magazine as best new chef Mm in 2016. You Mm -hmm. know, that, that's, that's pretty huge. You think about at least some of the culinary uh, dignitaries that have, have walked walked around here, you got, you know, you got Marcus Samuelson, mm-hmm. Patrick Clark, mm-hmm. um, you know, you got some very distinguished black chefs that have done great things that have not ever made it to that cover of that magazine, and that's, that's you know, that was a big honor, and that was a big, big, big piece deal. in the start of of, of people recognizing and, and, and realizing the talent that like I had.
2: That. I printed out this menu, I came in here to let you know, I love what you do. Keep doing Thank what you. you're doing. You will see me this year. Uh, Samantha, gonna reach it. out to you. Gonna, it's gonna be on the weekend. I'm gonna come up there. Uh, we're gonna have a good time. We're gonna laugh, man, and uh we're yes, gonna eat and we're gonna tell stories, and I'm gonna support your brand. And congratulations for breaking that glass it. ceiling. And uh and I'm gonna keep supporting you, man. And you got something going on that's special, and you are very special. Thank you for doing my show, Money Making Conversations. Hi, this is Rushan McDonald, the host of Money-Making Conversations. You say to yourself, who calls Roshan show? Please welcome to Money-Making Conversations, Lala Anthony. We met, you know, used to always say, Rashaun. Yeah. Uh, can you give, can, can we talk?
3: Can we talk? I mean... I always talk to you about everything. <laughs> everything. And looking at you and Steve Harvey, you know, that motivated me too because I would see all the amazing things you guys were doing and not just being on the radio. I mm-hmm. felt like, at that time and even now, you mm-hmm. know, people want to put people in boxes.
2: Please welcome to Money Making Conversations, the incredible Nick Cannon. You truly one of my mentors and one of the people that showed me that you can be multifaceted. You know for a fact now that you about to capture an audience that's going to have a spending power for at least another 20 years. To me it's like my happiness has been valuable. Money doesn't make you happy but happy makes you money.
5: Money Making Conversations continues online at www.moneymakingconversations.com. Money-Making Conversations continues online at www.moneymakingconversations.com. And follow Money-Making Conversations on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.
2: My next guest uh, has landed her on her work. Wow. You know, uh, she is the first-timer on Money-Making Conversations. Uh, Her work has landed her on many lists including being named one of the 2017 Glamour Magazine Women of the Year, the hashtag Woke100 by Essence Magazine, and Christian as one of the female faces of the new civil rights movement by Black Entertainment Television, BET, in addition to appearances and features in media outlets including NBC, ABC, CBS, MSNBC, Vogue, New York Magazine, Forbes, ESPN, TV One, The Huffington Post, News One, and Anddegreeo.com, among others. Please welcome to Money Making Conversations the Director of National Partnerships for Airbnb, Janae Ingram. Hi, how are you? Did I get out? Did, did I say a lot about you there, Ms. Ingram? You,
7: you did. You did. And sometimes I still, when I hear that, I'm like, really? I did that. Okay.
2: You know, you really. <laughs> you, you know, I, I have a general tendency just to. Uh, I and I. I felt when I was reading your bio that you're a grinder in other words you know you just you accomplish tasks you're not a person that sits back and look at your 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 past efforts cuz you're always moving forward and in general because of that you tend to not realize the greatness of the path that you or the journey that you create It's pretty impressive my friend
7: Well thank you and I, and I think you're right about that it, it it is keeping my nose down to the grindstone and just continuing to push forward and um, finding new ways to to be impactful so hearing you know being reminded of of the path that that I've created is, is always um, it's always inspiring even for myself and just you know says a lot about the journey um, when you're committed to something and committed to, to doing good
2: you know it's really interesting when I when I hear your voice because I hear a humble person I hear a humble person that I'm communicating with and it's almost um, when I hear that humbleness it almost does it surprise you that um that, you know, we all, I always, I always go back to college and I was just, I was just in college. Okay. I was trying to get an education, uh, trying to get sometimes, trying to get to the next party, trying to get past that grade, just trying to get there. And then I look 20 years, 30 years later, I go, wow. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot going on in your life, Rashawn. What, what stands out the most in your career so far? Cause it's not stopping. I know that.
7: Yeah. I, I mean, there are so many things and moments. Um, I I think if I had to say my, you know, my work right now is, is really impressive and, and not to diminish it, but I do think the high point for me and something that I'm still really, really proud of is uh, planning the women's March. Um, and that for me was something that I never, I didn't go into it envisioning that I would be making history, um, or envisioning that the turnout would be what it was. I kind of went in because I was passionate about creating space for people, um, to raise their grievances. And, and that was, you know, I was, I was committed to the the cause of, of justice and, Ensuring that, you know, again, um, all of the people who were saying that they were going to come were going to come to Washington, D.C. and have um, have an opportunity to have their collective voices heard. And it was something where if I would have known what I was doing (laughs) when when I was asked, like, will you come help with this? I probably would have said no, because I would have been afraid. Right. Um, I would have been afraid that I was going to fail. I would have been afraid of all of the many things that could have gone wrong. The
2: logistics was just overwhelming.
7: It is. It is overwhelming. And I don't think people really understand the complexities that are involved. Um, And and maybe they do, because, you know, I had prior to that March, um, I had planned the 50th anniversary of the March on Washington. Mm -hmm. And I was younger Um, I was a newer face in DC. I mean, people knew me, but I, you know, I had worked for, um, Reverend Sharpton and people just saw me as someone who worked for Reverend Sharpton and never understood maybe the skills and talents that I had. Um, and so I remember planning the 50th anniversary of the March on Washington and some of the the seniors and, and elders saying to me, you know, listen, baby girl, hand me this march because I don't know that you, you know, it's a lot and it's, it's probably too much for you to handle. Mm
6: -hmm.
7: And, Mm -hmm. and I said, no, I mean, you know, (laughs) I was clear that first of all, Reverend Sharpton had entrusted me with, Mm -hmm. with planning that march and and leading that effort. Um, And it, you know, I I didn't want to disappoint him. So I said, no, we got it. Um, And it made a lot of people sort of stand up and look at me and say, Oh, okay. She does, She can do this. Um, But never once in planning that 50th anniversary of the March on Washington did anyone ever say to me, do you have a permit? Like, do you know what you're doing? Mm -hmm. Uh, Outside of the elder saying, you know, this is a lot and you probably need some help. Um, Whereas with the March, the Women's March, Mm -hmm. us having a permit became, you know, it became front page news of like the women's march is happening, but they don't even have a permit. Um, And, and folks don't understand like what the permitting process is. I had done it a a lot. And so for me, it was like, okay, I know this process and I know what we're going to have to go through. And I know what it takes to get a permit, but it became sort of a spectacle. And I think um, overcoming all of the naysayers, people who said the women's march is not going to happen because they don't have a permit. The women's march you know, is it's gonna it's gonna flop? It's you know, people won't show up. All of the things that the naysayers were saying, but that does come the across.
2: March. You know, the, the, you know the whole. You know, I go all the way back to the Million Man March. You know, mm-hmm. you know that mm-hmm. that was the ultimate naysayer. That uh, that why would they come? and What was the general yep. purpose? And so, but it is you know, all you do you 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 put the tools in place. That's that's what you did. And then and then they came. Well, 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 let's let's walk you through the process of you know because you know you kind of get aware about it, the uh, the buses that are coming, the hotels yeah. that are being booked up, <laughs> the airlines that are going to have a difficulty coming in and, or being yeah. booked. You know, you start getting the little signs, you know, that okay something's happening here. And so when did that tingle really run up your back on? My God, it's happening. It's really really happening.
7: Um. I mean I, I think it, it it sort of happened along the way, so when when we planned the women's march mm-hmm. collectively, um, you know there was there were a lot of moving pieces mm-hmm. and um, but i I really owned the piece that was what people showed up and experienced specifically in d c and then with touch points and connections with all of the marches across the country and so like you know, helping folks with logistics in different parts of the country. But it happened, we started planning two months before the march happened. Right. And in those two months, you also had four holidays. You right. had Thanksgiving, Christmas, <laughs> New Year's Eve, and King Day. Right. Um, and so a lot of people were taking off enjoying vacations. And to be honest, I actually, you know, I, I did take a vacation even in the midst of all of the March planning. Um, and that was because of, of the experience that I had had doing it,
6: but absolutely.
7: Yeah. But a lot of it was, you know, a lot of it was ongoing. So when I signed on, it was like, okay, a hundred thousand people are going to show up to this March. Mm -hmm. And that was really through a Facebook post. So Facebook posts, I mean, it's kind of like, yeah, you say you're going to come, but are you really going to come? You know, and then, the, as we started to get bus numbers and as we started to get, you know, flight numbers, I think it really, it really didn't hit me until maybe the week of the march.
2: Quite right. frankly, let's talk about your the, your national partnership. Let's go because I don't want to get off the phone without explaining it exactly. You wanted into detail of different organization. This the, is it. Are you in a position where people reach out to you or? Or, or you reach out to them to create these partnerships. How exactly does that work for Airbnb?
7: Generally, it is people reaching out to us. I mean, I but I think that there are opportunities where we, I will reach out to you know an organization or a um, a leader and say we want to engage you for a specific thing. But generally it is lots of organizations reaching out uh, to to me and to us as a company and wanting to work with us. And I, I think we are a brand that is, I, I would say there are a lot of people who know about us. Um, generally people are interested because it's, you know, it's a younger brand. The company was founded in 2008. So we're, we're just barely 11 years old, but mm. um our name has become sort of a noun um, in in terms of like when you're sharing your your house, it's like oh, I'm going to Airbnb. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm staying at an Airbnb, and even if it's not legitimately an Airbnb, I right. think that we we have become sort of the Kleenex, if you will, the Kleenex version of uh, home sharing, and 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 that's a phenomenal thing um, to have a company so young that that that's able to become part of the lexicon that is, you know, synonymous with, with home sharing. So, um, it's, it's really amazing to have that. And it, I think it creates an appetite for people to say, we want to work with you. We want to find out more about what you're doing. And and then at the same time, I think that there are things that people don't necessarily understand about our business. Right. Um, and, and so for example, we have, uh, experiences, which you mentioned are the local activities that people can do. And I think that that's a newer product that people are still just learning about or just figuring out. Um, I speak often, uh, at conferences and different events and was just at one, um, this past weekend in New Orleans and home sharing, I think a lot of people know, but then I say, you know, how many of you have ever heard of Airbnb experiences and the hands are, are significantly fewer. Absolutely. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's, a, there's an opportunity there. And so in that instance, I might say we need to do more with, you know, X community or with X leader to ensure that people are knowing about Airbnb experiences, because, you know, quite frankly, you don't have to travel to do them. If you want to host one, you don't need a home to host one in. So mm-hmm. if you're in a city where there are, short-term rental regulations, but you still want to flex your entrepreneurial muscle,
6: mm-hmm.
7: there's a way for you to do that through Airbnb experiences. And it doesn't cost you anything. It gives you an audience of millions of people that your, your product is showing up in front of. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, a, it's an easy way, again, to start a business if you've had an idea about a business mm. or to really profile your business. And it's like it's like free marketing. You know, it's free marketing to people who are traveling to your city or people who live in your city who want to see and do something different than than what they're normally doing. They're they're not trying to go to the churches or sit at home on a weekend.
2: That's pretty powerful. Um, Ms. Ingram, I want to thank you for coming on my show. Uh, You're amazing. Now, I know in the end here, this part of the conversation, I'd love to bring you back on the show to get in more detail because at the first of the year, I always always try to – you know, give people ways that they can start motivating and planning and and seeing new opportunities and that whole the the, the uh, Airbnb experiences I think is, a, is something that's not being spoken of a lot because it's all about home sharing. That's 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 yeah. your, that's where you cut your teeth. The brand has cut his teeth on that. But I know that from through social media, through planning that that whole process that you're talking about is the next wave of great success with Airbnb and the fact that you can come in and market and take advantage of an audience out there and expand your brand, we need to talk more about that. Will you come back?
7: I would love to come back. It's been a joy talking to you.
2: And you've been fantastic, and I love talking to you because you took time to speak to Rashawn McDonald in your busy, 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 busy schedule. Hi, this is Roshan McDonald, the host of Money Making Conversations. You say to yourself, "Who calls Roshan Shell?" Please welcome to Money Making Conversations Lala Anthony. We met, you know, you always Roshan. Yes uh, can you give, can can we talk? Can we talk? I I always talk to you
3: about everything. Everything. (laughs) And looking at you and Steve Harvey, you know, that motivated me too because I would see all the amazing things you guys were doing and not just being on the radio. Mm I felt like, at that time and even now, you Mm -hmm. know, people want to put people in boxes.
2: Please welcome to Money Making Conversations, the incredible Nick Cannon. You
4: truly one of my
2: mentors and one of the people that showed me that you can be multifaceted. You know for a fact now that you about to capture an audience that's going to have a spending power for at least another 20 years.
4: To me, it's like my happiness has been valuable. Money doesn't make you happy, but happy makes you
2: money.
5: Money Making Conversations continues online at www.moneymakingconversations.com
2: Hi, this is Sean McDonald. You're listening to uh, Money Making Conversations. Money Making Conversations, my show. Your show? It's a podcast. You show syndicated. Yeah. Okay. Nationwide. You know, weekends, uh, HBCU campus is serious XM.
6: Wow. Spotify. I,
2: I I brought you on. I, I you know, I had to make sure that uh, I'd elevated my game to the next level. And uh let me introduce this young uh friend. She's actually been in my Ooh, he, she's, she's actually been in my uh, Chicago apartment. uh uh, uh beating me up because I didn't make anything for <laughs> her. <bacon>. Hungry. <laughs> 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 what you gonna make for me? Oh my god. I'm that. That's why you were
8: making all the pies, and you didn't make me. Absolutely. I couldn't even get a taste. Yes. How do you have somebody come over to your house, and they won't even let you taste? She
2: sat over there and watched me make all those pies. That
8: was crazy. Are you still making
2: pies? uh, Absolutely. Come on. That's why I'm going to Kelly Clarkson. I'll be doing it for her show today.
8: Are you serious? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Can I come?
2: No, ma'am. Uh, my next I'll guest is a graduate uh, no, no I'm going to carry not. your bag. No you won't. No you won't. My, pies? You talk too much. My next guest is a graduate of the Goldman Sachs 10,000K small business program for entrepreneurs and an awardee of the entrepreneurship entrepreneur of the year by the Living Legends Foundation which I was happily there to see and I was deeply moved and emotionally happy for her. <laughs> a company B Y O B, Be your own brand, be your own brand right. is a branding company that brands projects products, and people with a three-step process that Sheila developed while being a marketing executive in the music business. Exactly. Uh, and I, so I met her. I never met her. It was interesting when we are talking about a relationship because people always knew about her in the in music business, and then it was afterwards that uh, we developed our relationship. When I hounded you. <laughs> Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And she's very good at it. BYOB is in its 10th year, and she owns a trademark for BYOB, which is important to know is be your own brand. Please welcome to money making conversation a good friend. I enjoy her I from afar. I admire her, and I very appreciate this appreciative that she's in the studio today. Please welcome Sheila Coates.
8: Ooh, did this is this being recorded? Because I need all of that. Friend, he admires, long time, all of those adjectives I've never heard you say before. I'm impressed, but well, because I'm in the studio.
2: Well, no, because you are special, and uh, you mm-hmm. you know you are individual and. Um, you have carved a niche, uh, yes. a clear understanding of what uh, branding is all about. I want to, before we even get started, because I was going through your resume, in and in Missouri City, Texas, yes. I'm from Houston, Texas, so mm. I'm very familiar with Missouri City, Texas. Mm-hmm. Now you did the branding of the city of the city, Missouri City. So explain to everyone, and I want to start there, okay? Because that because uh, Missouri City, Texas, is like a a suburb of Houston. It's a, a very influent, affluent affluent. A community very uh, diverse community very diverse community is uh 59 south mm-hmm. of Houston and uh, when I read that I went wow that's really really cool let's talk through the process of how you get approached to this is a city right. this, this is a major city here mm-hmm. and I mean a, a booming city and how does that how how break down the steps of, of, of branding um showing leadership and being able to get the word out
8: Exactly. Well, you know, everything I think is about relationships. So I met the city manager coming in doing a leadership conference for him through a good friend of mine named Anita Castile. And Anthony, after I did the leadership conference, had so many of his key people like his fire chief and his um, assistant manager and that person who ran his police department say, you know, this is something new. We've never heard this before. We need to have her come back. They were in the process of trying to distinguish themselves from... What is it? Sugarland? Sugarland, absolutely. Door. Mm-hmm. So Sugarland gets a lot more notoriety, but they wanted to find out how people would know about them. And so my three-step process for branding their leadership team still is applicable for branding a city. Right. And so I said, Well, what are you known for? Mm-hmm. And more importantly, what do you want to be known for? Right. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, what can you deliver? Mm-hmm. And they couldn't answer those questions. Like everybody has a mission statement, right? You go into these cities and and, and they tell you, we want to be the place where you live and grow. And But at the end of the day, when I come to your city, what do you want me to know? Mm-hmm. It's not about the logo. Mm-hmm. It's not about a tagline. It's about the experience that I'm going to get when I go into Missouri City. Right. And that's when they realized they didn't have that.
2: Mm-hmm. And we're talking about Missouri City, Texas, which is a suburb right outside of Houston, Texas. It's yes. important because I grew up near Missouri City. It was kind of like okay. a city that, uh, you know, football power. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and it kind of like went from just just a regular little small community to an actual city, mm-hmm. and then it got pushed all the way to the to the fifty nine side of the freeway. It grew. It, it kind of like it started growing and just blossoming. And like, you're right, Sugarland, but has always been Imperial Sugar. Mm-hmm. Always had that brand relationship, and right. and people knew exactly what it was. But Missouri City still was like
8: okay, yeah, we're just here, and they called themselves Mo City. You know, um, they had some bad reputation problems for a little bit, Mm -hmm. but they're really a friendly city. And so when we decided to take on the branding, I did this whole concept with them that I do with people, but I put it for the city and I had them tell me what is it that they can deliver. And I had all of their key uh, stakeholders involved. I had a lot of their employees involved and I got back a lot of feedback. And they realized that there were three things that they were known for. The key was though, do you appreciate those three things? Right. Because mm-hmm. you always think, I should be like Houston, or I should be more like Sugarland, But if I'm a person coming to the city, there are some things that I want to know about this city that I know I can get.
6: Mm-hmm. And
8: it was amazing, because then I tested it.
6: Mm-hmm.
8: After they told me what their three attributes were, I went around the city to see. Mm-hmm. And I'm not joking, this was probably one of the friendliest cities I've ever been in. Mm-hmm. It is. So they told me they wanted to be known for their friendliness, for their ability to go above and beyond, mm-hmm. and for their ability to be a diverse family community, mm-hmm. right? So when they said these things, I said, well, then you got to be this. This is a true story. I got a ticket in in Missouri City going 35 in a 30-mile zone. I was like, are you serious you guys pulled me over? Mm -hmm. I got pulled over. I went through the process of paying for the ticket instead of calling the police chief, which I was thinking about doing since I had met him, Mm -hmm. because I wanted to see how they operated in every little area of, you know, the city. So I go to this place to pay for the ticket. This lady couldn't be nicer. Mm Mm-hmm. When I came in the door, she said, good morning. How are you? How can I help you? And I'm thinking, okay, this is definitely not L.A., right? Right, right, right. I come in. She, I was in the wrong or building. Or Houston,
2: right down or the road. Houston,
8: okay. Or Sugarland, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So she says to me, you're in the wrong place. Um, but hold on a minute. Let me make a call for you, and then I'll find out exactly where you need to go. She calls. She <laughs> calls the lady. She gives me the address. She tells I was like, okay, maybe she knows I'm checking the mm-hmm. background of this mm-hmm. place. Mm-hmm. So sweet. Mm-hmm. I go to the next place. Before I could get in, hi, how are you? Mm -hmm. I was told to ask for, oh, hold on, let me go get her for you. Mm -hmm. They were friendly. They went above and beyond. This is what they told me that they wanted. These ladies didn't know that I was the branding person, and I was checking to see if the information that they had shared with me was really what they did. It was dead on. Mm -hmm. So I do this whole thing. I go around a couple places. I go to some stores. I'm I'm checking because I said, if you tell me this is who you are, I should feel this right. from mm-hmm. the people that are working in your city. Right. Mm-hmm. Long story short, I did that for like maybe a week or so. Mm-hmm. I pull all of the key stakeholders back together and I give them the names and the places of the people who I had interacted with. Mm. You guys are this city. The thing was, the city manager says to me, Well, oh, is that anything great? I mean, like should I said, Now if I'm a person who's putting my family here, don't yes. I want a family, friendly mm-hmm. environment? Mm-hmm. So friendliness is important to me. Right. If I'm telling somebody that I have a diverse community and I'm a business who's looking for diversity, mm-hmm. this is the place I need to be. Once they realize that these are your attributes, let's start talking about them. Right. They you can't promote just them. yeah. Mm-hmm. So now in their community relations, when they do events, mm-hmm. they you know if you do a city event, promote that it's going to be a friendly event because you guys are going to be friendly. Friendly. Promote safe, that it's going to be and safe mm-hmm. and diverse. Mm-hmm. They got it. Mm-hmm. So now businesses can come there and realize. I can come here and it's going to be safe. Mm -hmm. I can come here and move my employees because it's going to be friendly. Mm -hmm. It's a family environment. It was so much fun to get them to see who they were, but more importantly, to get them to see you really are that. Right. So that's what I do when I do cities. I'm about to brand um, Volunteers of America, which is a a huge organization. Mm -hmm. Yes. But they're a nonprofit. There's thousands of nonprofits. Why am I going to give you money? Right. That's what I'm helping them down. Distinguish. What do you do? That another nonprofit doesn't do. Right. And what's uniquely you. So that's what branding is all about, is giving you that identity. Just like, you know, a Nike or anyone else, everything is a brand. Right. It's the experience and the perception that you want people to have when they encounter you.
2: Yeah, it really has changed the game. I I would tell people in the Muhammad Ali era, you know, people can just promote. They can talk. They can scream. They can Mm. shout immediately because of social media. Where that, that, that branding was left to corporations back in the day who advertised on the radio right. and TV and commercials and digital and things like that because of social media now you're part of the you're part of the cure as part of the problem yeah but
8: I love the fact that you use Muhammad Ali I use him a lot because I say I am and it's not just me but it's scientifically proven that the words I am mm-hmm. whatever you follow that with you become whether you're a Christian scientific whatever. You become what you believe. Mm-hmm. So I am is so important. Muhammad Ali was the first to say, I am what? The greatest. The greatest. Mm-hmm. He told you that from day one. Mm-hmm. I am the greatest. I'm the greatest looking. I'm the greatest fighter. Mm-hmm. I'm the greatest dresser. Mm-hmm. When he died, what did they call him? The GOAT. Great.
6: Mm-hmm. Greatest the greatest of all greatest time. Of
8: all time. Mm-hmm. See, that's the power of understanding I am in mm-hmm. your brand. Mm-hmm. You become what you believe. And that's why I say to young kids, you tell yourself, you know, I am badass or whatever, you know, you become that. You start mm-hmm. to embody that, mm-hmm. and then you have to act like that. Mm-hmm. When Muhammad Ali said that, it wasn't about even branding himself mm-hmm. as much as he was making a point. But in all of the time that he said that, right, they ended up calling him that, and that's the power of knowing that I am.
2: Right. Yeah. Telling yourself, great. Uh, thank you for coming on my show, Money Making Conversations. Thank she, you. you. You know, uh, I could talk
8: to you all day.
2: Well, in fact, you know, we got to. You can take the, me to
8: lunch if you want. We can
2: keep. Well, up. I got to catch the airport, airplane. I got to go to the airport, catch the plane, because I got to go to L.A., because, you know, I'm busy like that. Mm-hmm. But more importantly, we have to do this every quarter. I would uh, love to. It's I part enjoy. of the brand. It's part of the process that I want to. I'm at a good place in my life now where I can be able to say this is what I want to be able to communicate to my listeners and to my fan base on the regular basis, and you are a star. Well, thank you are, and it, hopefully
8: it'll help them. That's yeah. really my goal. Well, it, to it, get it, people it, understand. Well, you help me. We're all unique.
2: You help me, and I think that's a, that. I feel that's an important part of because you can, you constantly educate me every time I communicate with you, and I always felt feel that that's the key to my success. I'm willing mm-hmm. to take on new information, and you got to keep winning, and you got to keep being she Thank you. I thank can't you. Do nothing but that's money made in conversation. Everybody, uh, we'll be back next week. Uh, follow us. Money Making Conversations on social. i uh, got all the social website.com Find out who's on Conversation.com. Again, Rashawn McDonald. Have a great year, great life. I will always be there thinking about you. Hi, this is Rashawn McDonald, the host of Money Making Conversations. You say to yourself, who calls Rushan Shell?" Please welcome to Money Making Conversations, Lala Anthony. We met... You know, you always, say, yes. Uh can you give can, can we talk? Can we talk? I, mean, I always talk to you about everything, <laughs>
3: everything. And looking at you and Steve Harvey, you know, that motivated me too because I would see all the amazing things you guys were doing and not just being on the radio. I mm-hmm. felt like at that time and
2: even now, mm-hmm. you know, people want to put people in boxes. Please welcome to Money Making Conversations, the incredible Nick Cannon. You're truly one of my mentors and one of the people that showed me that you can be multifaceted. You know for a fact now that you about to capture an audience that's going to have a spending power for at least another 20 years. To me, it's like my
4: happiness has been valuable. Money doesn't make you happy, but happy makes you money.
5: Money-Making Conversations continues online at www.moneymakingconversations.com. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time you stop thinking about your dreams and put some plans into action.